Well, good morning, friends. Uh, it is great to be with you virtually and to uh, long for the day when we can be all together one more time. Um, I'm Todd, and uh, if you're tuning in to Watermark because a friend has invited you, we're so glad that you're here, and we look forward to the day that uh, we can greet one another in person. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we have um, been trying to figure out what the new normal is, and so we've done our Sunday mornings a little different than we typically do, and, and this is a little different as well, but um, we're not going to spend maybe the 20 minutes that we have other times just kind of setting the message up. We're going to dive right into what we've been studying together. You're going to see how incredibly relevant the Word of God is all the time. And we are in um, a book called Thessalonians. And if you're just joining in with us, let me just tell you uh, who the Thessalonians were. They were an early church that had been established by a guy named the Paul, an apostle Paul. And it was uh, a strategic city at the crossroads of a major industry trade route during that day. There were all kinds of different world beliefs. There were all kinds of different ideas about uh, how men could find life and meaning and purpose and whether or not there was a God that they were accountable to at all. There was um, a, a lot of what we would call paganistic world religions. There was uh, synagogue of Jews. There was Roman uh, mythological religions and um, all kinds of craziness that were happening in Thessalonica. And then Paul showed up and he reminded first the people that had their Old Testament how God had anticipated one day fulfilling his promises to his people through a great deliverer, the Messiah, the one who would come and would care for the needs of his people. And Paul came on the scene and explained to them how that deliverer was Jesus. My prayer this morning is you would be reminded of the exact same thing. I just want to start today because I know there's some folks that are visiting with us and telling you exactly what Paul told the Thessalonians, what he said everywhere he went as a matter of first importance. And that is that God is not waiting for you to seek him. God is not waiting for you to perform well enough, long enough that you might eventually be able to shake hands with him and not be socially distanced for eternity. And God is the one who makes a way for you. All of us are descendants of Adam and Eve. And all of us have followed in the ways of our mother and father, if you will. We're all sons of Adam and all daughters of Eve. And because of that, every single one of us are prone to believe that God's not there or he's not necessary. And if he is there, he's not necessarily good. And so we need to manage our relationship with him. And that disobeying him is not that big a deal. Now, he might be more powerful than us. And so there's this almost superstitious idea that I've got to appease him in some way. And so we invent all kinds of world religions and all kinds of systems uh, that either comfort us in our deep concern or that make us believe that we're going to be okay. And that moment that waits for all of us. And that is uh, the grave. And the scripture says this, it's appointed for men to die once. And after this comes judgment. And so all of us are trying to figure out how we can be reconciled to God. And Paul came to the Thessalonians, and I came to you this morning, and I tell you this is how. The truth is the wages of sin is death. Death is just simply our separation from God, the God who is holy and true and loving. When we say, I don't think I want what you want, he just says, fine. Not my will then, your will be done. And God separates us from him. And part of our separation from him is this world that we are in 
today. God's world, God's kingdom never had viruses, never had cancer, never had loneliness, never had divorce, never had abuse. God's world was defined by everything that in your little utopian mind you would imagine except better. And as God lets us live in this world where there is pain because of our sin and because of the way that humans operate apart from God, he didn't just leave us there. He began to seek us. And God shows his compassion and his kindness by first revealing himself through a people and giving his law and showing that there really is a standard, there really is holiness, there really is a God, he really is powerful. And so God made his name known through acts of power all throughout human history, not just stories, but recorded human history. It's what separates our Bible from the mythology that is in all of the systems. God dared within the Judeo-Christian world to reveal himself in the context of history. And you can go back and test it. It's not nonsensical because you can make sense of it as you go back and study archeologically, study historically, and in so many other ways. And God pursued us. And most fully, he has pursued us through his son, who has said he is the visible image of the invisible God, the exact representation of his nature. And God made him, Paul declared to the Thessalonians, and I declare to you, who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf in order that we might become the righteousness of God by believing in him. Paul said to the Romans, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The message that Paul came to Thessalonians and preached was that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. If you have never trusted in God for the forgiveness of your sins, that is of first importance. And God wants you to know that he wants to forgive you, that God has made provision for your sin. He's made provision um, for you if you'll just acknowledge what is true, that your life is not what a pure and holy and good life should be, but what is unspeakably, wonderfully true is that God loves you and has made a way for you to be forgiven by him. If you've never done that, what you just need to do is confess that Jesus is Lord and you're not, and that God raised him from the dead. And the scripture says, if you will do that, and if you believe in your heart those things and say those things and confess those things with your mouth, you will be saved. So let me pray for you and pray for all of us. And then we are gonna dive in to a letter that Paul wrote back to a group of people that believe this. And you're gonna find it is incredibly, incredibly relevant for the world that we live in today. So fathers, we come this morning, uh, we just wanna start with the gospel, the good news that you're not angry at us, that you seek us and you just call us to acknowledge just um, what is obvious to all of us. This doesn't look like a world that you would create. And this doesn't look like a life that um, we would long for. No, we see loneliness and we see cancer and we see separation and we see abuse. All of us in some way can look back over our own lives and see that we have been a part of the cancer, of the, the way of man, the way of unbelieving women on this earth. We've created heartache for ourselves and a heartache for others and we just confess Lord, there is nothing about us that could ever please you. And there's nothing about us that could ever um, meet the standard 
of righteousness that a perfect and holy, eternal God deserves. And so, Lord, we, maybe for the very first time, some confess our sin and say, Lord, I need grace. I need forgiveness. I don't want this world to be my home. I don't want this world to be my best experience. The world that you're still in with your people, still in with your restraining grace, limiting evil, even in the midst of pandemics and the things I've already mentioned, you're still here working and wooing, both through your people and through your spirit. We don't want this to be the best world we know, Father. And so we acknowledge this truth about our world. I'm a sinner. And, Lord, if there is anything like a good and loving and benevolent God, he would come and rescue us from this world. And so, Lord, those of us who believe, thank you that we know that you've done that in the person of Jesus. And those who are going to believe for the first time would say just right now, Father, I thank you that you don't offer tomorrow to my procrastination, but you do offer forgiveness to my repentance. And I come today and I acknowledge my need for you. And I ask that you would allow Jesus's death on the cross, his shed blood, to be the means through which your wrath and justice is satisfied. And I don't know why you would do that for me, but I believe it to be true and it is in fact good news. And I put all my confidence in Jesus and all my confidence in that cross. And now I seek his people and seek your way, Father. Teach me more of your way so I can be a means through which others can come to know the good news that I've learned maybe just this morning or that I'm gathered with other believers virtually this morning because you've already let me believe it. So we love you, Father. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that this world is not our home, that there is a resurrection unto a world where there is no tear, there is no sadness, there is no sickness, there is no night. And you are there. Until then now, would you let us be more present in the way that we love one another in your name. Let us be your church, your means of grace. Let us glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, the first thing you want to do if you prayed that prayer for the first time is let us know. Um, we mentioned to you that you can sign up uh, for the current at uh, connect uh, or at watermark.org slash connect. And I'd encourage you to stay in touch with us that way. But if you just prayed that prayer, you can go to our website and you can let us know. You can just go info at watermark.org and just say, I need more info about how I can be a part of the body of Jesus Christ. And we would love to encourage you with that way. Well, we mentioned last week when we were talking about this letter that Paul wrote to Thessalonians, that there was a verse, that if there was ever a perfect verse to read on a Sunday when we were distanced from one another, it was this one. It was in 1 Thess chapter 2 and verse 17. And there's a phrase there that is very, very familiar that we, we use a lot, sometimes even when we're in romantic relationships with other people. And this is what the verse says. It says, but brethren, having been taken away from you, we, we do pray for a short time, okay? But Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, it had just been months since he had been there for the first time. He said, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit. We sometimes say, man, I'm not there in body, but I'm there in spirit. That's where it comes from, Paul's words. We're all the more eager with great desire to see your face. Now, Paul went on from there and uh, added a few more verses. And then we get to chapter three. And all chapter three is, is him repeating chapter two, verse 17. So let's read it together. And I think you're going to find um, it very encouraging. Let me remind you what I said to you last week. And I want to stick it in again right here. 
I don't know what you're doing this week or what you're streaming, but we have an opportunity for you to um, be equipped. We have our equipping classes available online. We have PowerPoints on there. We have audio that you can listen to. Here's just a slide that tells you about all the different classes that are there. You can learn the Bible, the, the meta-narrative and the cover to cover. You can learn more about Jesus. We had a master of the master's life. Uh, we can learn how to follow him. Uh, we can specifically learn more about God's word. And the one that I want to really emphasize is this keys to effective Bible study. There's one on apologetics, kind of um, answering the tough ones. There's one about doctrine, knowing what you believe. But you can find out at watermark.org slash equipping course, equipping courses, um, how you can find out about more of these things. So you should know how to study your Bible. And I, I last week just said this, when you come to the Bible, you wanna come eagerly. This is the word of God. It's not the ideas of men. It's not a great novel. It's not um, great nonfiction. It's the word of God. And so we should come eagerly, like I get to meet with God. And we should come humbly because we have no business hearing from God unless he and his grace invited us into that inner circle. And so we should thank him that in his holiness, he allows us to come. We should come expectantly because the word of God is living and active and we know he's gonna to go to work and therefore we should come ready to change. And ultimately, the reason we study God's word is because having it have its effect on us and transforming and changing us, we wanna be a means through which we can declare that hope and be a source of grace to others. So let's come eagerly to God's word this morning. I'm gonna to read to you um, all the way down really to verse, uh, we'll stop at verse 10 and then we'll wrap up our time by looking briefly at verses 12 through 13 and I'll tell you why I separate it that way. Let's read verses one through 10 and then what I wanna do is make some observations, take out some timeless principles and I think you'll see plenty of application there for you. All right, Lord, teach us your word. First Thess 3. Paul says, therefore, to this church, and he says, it's our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. So if you're just listening, um, Thessalonica is up there uh, uh, just north of where modern day Greece is. You can still find it. It's still there today. It's, it's not far from uh, the bridge that goes over uh, towards Asia. But we're in Europe, and, and Paul is there, and he's just saying, hey, we're down south in Athens. And so we're gonna send Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker on the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. Why? So that no one would be disturbed by the afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. Paul said, I know you're probably concerned about me and I wanna tell you what's going on. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass. So don't be alarmed. He says, as you know, for this reason, when I could endure it no longer, there it is again. He says it for the second time. I also sent to find out about your faith. I love that you were concerned about me. I'm concerned about you for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor there would have been in vain. You would have left the faith. But now, now I didn't just write you, but Timothy has come um, to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love. So Paul wrote uh, and we sent Timothy up there and Timothy has returned back and given a report. And so Paul's writing this letter in response to the report about how the church had been doing. And he's brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. 
For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy which we rejoice before our God on your account as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Okay, Paul's writing this amazing letter because he's heard a report back about how everybody's doing. I, I, um, I wanna say this to you. If you're a member of Watermark and you didn't get a phone call this week, not from just your community group, okay, but from somebody that you allow through your gracious gifts to serve you as part of the Watermark staff, if you didn't get a phone call and you're part of the, a member of the church, not a regular attender, but a member of Watermark, then something's wrong. We don't know um, that you think you're a member. So to our knowledge, almost 10,000 folks got individual phone calls this week from us. And in a little bit, I'm gonna tell you about some of what I heard back. But I can relate to Paul in two ways. I can relate to Paul in um, how he was encouraged when he heard back from Timothy about how the church was doing. And I'm gonna talk about that in just a little bit. And then secondly, I can't tell you how excited I am for us to get together again. Somebody uh, sent me this meme this morning. Those of you who uh, have been around a little bit longer, you know uh, about a gentleman by the name of Chris Farley. And uh, he made an entrance one day uh, onto a late night show that I think might be us the first day we're back together. So Paul said, I'm so excited to be with you. Check this out. This is kind of how we all feel, I think, about the first time when we get back together. Watch this. Okay, I'm working on my cartwheel so that uh, when we get back together, I can fire one off for you. <laughs> but it's going to be uh, a lot of fun. I mean, I, I've said it every week. One of the things that dishealth reminds us is what we want to do with our health. And one of the things that, um, that being separated from one another does is it reminds us how much we should love the privilege of getting together. So here's what I want to do. I want to show you just some basic observations that I pulled out that were instructive to me and I think are going to be instructive to you as we study this little text. So here's the very first one. Paul said, when I can do it no longer, I thought it best in verse one to be left behind in Athens and send Timothy and probably even Silvanus up to you. Um, but for Timothy, for sure, our brother and um, God's fellow worker in the gospel to Christ, the scripture says, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. So first of all, here's just a simple application. When you get with other believers, when you get with anybody as ministers of the gospel, you ought to be an individual that strengthens and encourages others in the faith. Whatever you're doing when you're together, you can catch up with um, quick conversations and meaningful, uh, you know, just, I mean, just little tidbits about life and, and um, just basic goings on. If there was an NCAA tournament, talk about the shot that was just made or whatever it might be. And by the way, man, isn't it amazing how much time we've got back because we're not distracted and entertained by all the, the sports that are out there? I've really loved the fact that that's not been a part of any of my conversation for a week. Now, nothing wrong with those things, but they definitely have a place. And too many times they're elevated to a place that they, they shouldn't be elevated to. It's amazing to me how many folks are like, well, I can't wait for the NFL draft so we have something to talk about. Well, listen, the NFL draft has its place and it's not where it's been in the American perspective for a long time. I like that it's been demoted. And what I would say to you is that what should always be promoted is that when you're with people, what ought to be at the top 
of your mind is that people would be strengthened and encouraged. That's why Paul sent Timothy, and it's why God sent you. In every conversation, in every email. You know, one of the things that sometimes uh, would grieve me is when I would get together with my believing friends and I would look back over the course of the night and I would go, you know what? There was nothing that happened there that was distinctly Christian about our time together. There was never a moment when we just kind of did what any human would have done. Now, we encourage one another just with our friendship, and it's not like you have to feel bad and guilty that you don't move everything to a, a conversation about a certain scripture, but I think you ought to look for ways to move every conversation toward a certain scripture and strengthen people in what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely. Whatever is excellent and worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things and let it inform your speech. One of the marks of a spirit-filled man, it says in Ephesians chapter five, is that, that we speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So definitely have fun talking about meaningless things and just remember they're meaningless. And don't ever leave somebody without talking about meaningful things. That's why Paul sent Timothy. It's why God sent you. Now, why did Paul send Timothy? What he says in this entire section in chapter three of 1 Thessalonians is, hey, I love you. I love you. You matter to me. You weren't just um, a fundraising stop for me. You weren't just a place that I would stick my head in, give you a few ideas, ask you to support the traveling evangelists and move on. Paul said in, in chapter two, we didn't just give you the gospel, but our very lives as well. And Paul was making it very clear that he was the kind of leader and the kind of shepherd that God wants us all to be. And so I just, in writing this, was reminded of this simple truth, and that is this. The mark of a good shepherd is love for sheep. Now, I, I say this, and you might just look at that and go, Ty, that's not a really profound insight that the mark of a good shepherd is love for the sheep. I mean, that's exactly what Jesus said in John chapter 10, and so he did. But it was a good reminder for me and a good reminder for you that what people are not looking for is um, a, a gifted speaker, not looking for somebody who can make them laugh. What ultimately people want is to be loved. It's why the quarantine, the social distancing, the shelter in place is so painful to us because we want to be together. We are made in the image of God and God has eternally existed in the person of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, community and mutual submission and love are not just the highest ideals of men. They have eternally existed in the very nature and person of God. And you're made in his image. And you're not called to be alone. And when you are an image bearer, you will love as he loved. The mark of a good shepherd is love for the sheep. Let me just show you how this characterizes Paul's ministry. And in fact, again and again, when Paul was being accused of being um, like everybody else that kind of ran through town and was um, pushing product, is he would always go back and go, if I was pushing product, how come I didn't ask for anything from you? If I was pushing product, how come I didn't just leave town and didn't leave a follow-up address? Why would I send Timothy back? No, I was loving you. And my life's love for you should be a shadow of Jesus's love for you. Let me just tell you this, church, as you're out there in your neighborhoods, okay, one of the ways that people are gonna know that God loves them is that God's people love them. Jesus says this, that um, 
People are going to know that we're his disciples by the way we love one another. Uh, Paul said, the goal of our instruction is love. Uh, a pastor that, um, named Frederick Faber, who lived a, a while back, said this, kindness has converted more people than zeal, eloquence, and knowledge combined. Now, it's not kindness as a trick. It's not kindness as a form of seduction, but it's the kindness of Christ that should lead us to repentance. When the world sees in us love in the way that the Father loves, by living sacrificially and servant-heartedly and selflessly in the way we care for and tend to the needs of others, and we do it in Jesus' name. We don't ever do random acts of kindness. Everything we do is informed by our King. We are servants of Christ, and we're stewards of the mysteries of God. The mark of a good shepherd is love. Watch this. Paul loved people. Um, in 2 Corinthians, Paul was being accused of being a false prophet. And um, he just said this. The reason to the church in Corinth, which is where he wrote the Thessalonian letter from, he said, when we were in Athens, we couldn't stand it anymore. And so we sent Timothy up to you in Thessalonica. Then we went over a little bit further to the west to Corinth. And then Timothy came back to us and gave us the message about how you're doing. And so from Corinth, Paul wrote Thessalonians. And then a little bit later, he wrote a letter back to the Corinthians. And the same thing was happening there. People were accusing Paul of not being a, a true Apostle, a true person sent forth from Christ. I just want you to see what Paul said because it's what marked him. And I'm making this observation because it's what should mark you. Paul says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you a pure virgin. What Paul was wanting is, is these people that were God's people to know God and to be ready for that moment when they're going to stand before him. Now, the only thing that ultimately makes us ready as we stand before him is that we're clothed in his righteousness alone. That's why I started the message today of what is of first importance. But when we come to our beloved, right? When my wife and I got married, I think as most people do, most people, they, they, they exchange gifts on their wedding day as an expression of um, the joy that they have in, in yoking themselves to one another. Um, I got my wife a couple of, of old quilts that, um, you know, I, I thought she would really love that were made, um, you know, handmade, kind of Quakerish old quilts. And she got me a shotgun. So her gift was a whole lot better than mine. But uh, you come bearing gifts. So what gifts can we come with? The answer is we come with the gifts of um, our good works that we've done in Jesus' name to show our love for him. And then everything that we have done has been to represent him and to um, make his name more famous. I mean, when gals get engaged, all they do is walk around like this, you know, constantly scratching their hair and, uh, you know, like this, so people can see this mark that they are about to be betrothed until that wedding band goes over it. Our mark is love. It shows that we're engaged to our king. And when people say, hey, who gave you that, that mark of love in your life? We say, it's Jesus. And when we stand before him, Paul was just saying that um, we want to be individuals that can be presented to Christ in this way. But watch this. Paul then in verse 23, I want you to read this. I want you to see his heart. He says, are, are these other people that you say are better servants uh, uh, of, of God than me? Are they really? Watch Paul's ultimate defense that he was a servant of Christ. He said, I speak as if it's insane. In other words, whenever you say, I'm really the representative of Christ, and then you start to talk about things that you do, Paul's saying, this is a little crazy, but watch what he says. 
Are they servants of Christ, these other guys you think you should follow? I speak as if insane. I more so, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes because they didn't like what I was saying, but I just kept on going even though I was beaten. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, all to bring the gospel to people. But watch what he says. Apart from all this, do you know what's been the most difficult thing for me? The daily pressure on me of my concern for you because I love you. That's been the hardest thing for me to endure is not knowing how you're doing, Paul wrote. You know, we're all um, going through a season where life isn't as it should be, but I just, I, I wanna ask us, is, is that the heart? Is that the heart that right now that, that we have for just our day in and day out mindset? Remember what I just said? It says, the mark of a good shepherd is love for the sheep and and and. Christ wants us all to be those kind of shepherds. When you think about what's hard for you, do you think about, you know what's really hard? It's hard because I can't be with people to strengthen and encourage them, to be a source of life to them, to be a means of grace to them. Nothing is hard for me. No beating, no suffering um, from a government decree, Nothing is as hard for me as being unable to be near you. You know, it's interesting. We had a guy who came to our house this week um, who was working on some of our internet stuff. It had been scheduled for a while. They came. Once we passed the test that we were not a, a home that would be a, a danger to that ATT employee. And um, the young man that, that, that came in as I just was with him, and, and um, I didn't just have him come provide a service for me it was a great opportunity just to, to spend some time just loving him, asking about his family, asking about his story, asking him if he had the hope that I had eventually. And at the very end, you know, um, I just, you know, he was wearing a little rubber glove and I gave him a fist bump and he just looked at me and said, man, that, that felt so good, man. I just miss handshakes and, and I miss hugs. And here's what's amazing is God misses intimacy with you. And that's why he sent Christ. And he did more than give you a fist bump. He went to a cross. Jesus tells us if we know him, that that is what should mark our lives. His love for one another. Um, look at 2 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. Paul says this, who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? What Paul is saying there to the Corinthians and I'm, 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 I'm here because I'm expounding upon this idea that the mark of a good shepherd is love. You're gonna see this is true of everywhere that Paul want, went and it should be true of everywhere we go. Paul's saying, you didn't struggle without me feeling your struggle. You weren't led into sin without my, without my being concerned for your temptation and the devastation it's gonna to bring to you if you give yourself to it. That's why we admonish faithfully one another because we love one another and we don't want to see sin have its way 
Um, we know that Jesus says that love is the greatest commandment, that we love God, and because we love God, you can't separate loving others from it. That's Matthew 22, 37 through 40. We know that Jesus, in John chapter 10, said, hey, you know what? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he does. But not me, Jesus says in John 10, 11. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. In John chapter 13, verse 1, um, right before Jesus offered himself as a sacrificial lamb. He said, now that my hour has come, okay, uh, I'm going to go and I'm going to be that lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. And then this is what the scripture says, or John wrote, um, that having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them, some Bibles would say to the uttermost, and mine says he loved them to the end. Folks, this is not just some sappy, superficial love. What Paul is doing here is what we all should do. He's just saying, what should mark me is not that I meet on Sunday morning. What should mark me is not that I teach God's word. What should mark me is love. So we see it all the time, but we certainly see it here in, um, in 1 Thess chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Let's just keep reading and um, see what uh, we have here. So he says, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to strengthen and encourage you to faith. And then we get to verse three and Paul says, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. Watch this. It's gonna show up twice here in three and four. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. How'd they know that they were, uh, Paul was destined for trouble? Watch this. For indeed, when we were with you, here's how, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass. So Paul had heard that the Thessalonians, uh, well, first of all, they knew that Paul was run out of the city, that Jason was arrested, that there was uh, actual uh, um, a, a bond that was given, that a guy named Jason in Thessalonica gave money to some authorities and said, hey, I promise you, this guy that is turning the world on its head by this preaching this gospel story, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna ask him to leave. And so um, Jason had put probably no small amount of money, a fortune, and given his word that he would get Paul to leave because people were coming after him. And so they, they snuck Paul away and people were concerned. What happened to Paul? Where'd he go? Is he all right? Paul said he was gonna suffer afflictions. How, how bad was he afflicted? Jason, where is he? And so Paul caught some of this message that the Thessalonians were concerned for him. But Paul, when he was there, had prepared them for this. He had prepared them for the fact that, listen, this world isn't my home. And... Uh, I am going to take up my cross and follow my Savior who took up a cross for me. And Paul, in teaching them what he was going to go through, was also preparing them for what they would go through. Here's just a simple application for you that I wrote down as I read this, and that is this. Great leaders prepare their people with truth. They don't seduce them with lies. This is one of the reasons that um, the health, wealth, and prosperity nonsense so offends me. It's one of the reasons that I spent some time this week and people asked me, hey, why did healing ministries shut down during this season? Well, it's not because the government asked them to, I'll tell you that. That might've been their excuse, but let me just tell you something. The government is not gonna shut down a healing ministry that's gonna keep people out of hospitals or is gonna make it unnecessary for pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical companies to come up with an antidote um, for the virus. No. If you've got a vaccine that is prayer and the power of God, the government says, unleash it. There's a reason that they didn't unleash it. And it's because 
healing ministries in the way that they're often represented are out of step with what the New Testament says should be your expectation. God still heals. We should pray for healing. But the idea that if you have faith and the idea that Jesus' death on the cross was going to keep you from future diseases is so thoroughly unbiblical that God sometimes, one of the benefits, is he uses situations like this to show you that you shouldn't follow that nonsense. So listen to the biblical teaching on that. There were two. Why did healing ministry shut down? And secondly, does the Bible say that I'm always going to be healed? The answer is no. You know what the Bible says? What Paul taught the Thessalonians, that there's going to be many troubles and distresses. Again and again, you're going to find that what Paul did was faithfully represent Jesus. Let me just show you. Great leaders prepare their people with truth. They don't seduce them with lies. Okay? Uh, here, here's an illustration I wanted to just throw in real quick. Uh, and that is that there was, um, um, can you imagine being on an airplane and somebody walking around and saying to you, hey, I want you to put this thing in your back and go, well, it's, it's, it's something that's gonna make your flight better. You're gonna be more comfortable. When the food comes out, it's gonna taste better. The, the stewardess is not gonna charge you if you wanna um, buy some things they no longer give for free. And so you put on this thing, this backpack, this parachute on your seat, and you find out once you put it on, in fact, it doesn't make your flight more comfortable. It doesn't uh, cause you to not have to pay for things. In fact, you might be a lot more uncomfortable than the people who rejected the gift of the parachute. The parachute is not given to you on this particular plane ride because it's gonna make you healthier and, and, and wealthier on the flight. It's because you're wise because the guy who gave it to you knows this plane is going down. One of the reasons I am so discouraged when I hear people misrepresent what the gospel is gonna do for you is by telling you it's gonna benefit you on your flight through earth and make everything better on your flight through earth is because it's gonna make people go, this is crazy. My life isn't better ever since I put this thing on, this, this faith. Oh yeah, I've been burdened with this idea of eternal judgment, but it doesn't look like judgment's gonna come. Moments like this, people realize that this world is not something they can control. And every time people move closer to the grave, they start to see, well, maybe I can't control my life. But boy, they fly for a long time sometimes in their arrogance and they go, hey, this isn't comfortable. In fact, now I can't even do what I want to do. I can't sit the way I want to sit, live the way I want to live with this thing on. And they start to take it off and discard it. No, but if you told people, I'm going to tell you why. There's going to be a moment this plane's going to go down. It's going to go down quickly. It's going to be unannounced. And if you don't have it on, you're probably not going to have time to put this parachute on when that door opens and you get sucked out. I think people would wear the backpack with little difference. Now look it. There is something called the gospel blessing that is not the same as the prosperity gospel. There is a prosperity and a success and a peace and a joy and a hope that comes with wearing the gospel. But may we never tell people it's gonna keep you from affliction and make your flight easier. No. Paul says this um, in Titus uh, chapter three, He's uh, writing to his friends there and he's talking about um, their specific, I, I, sorry, 2 Timothy 3, not Titus. In 2 Timothy 3, he says, now you follow my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my perseverance. I'm in 2 Timothy 3, 10 and now to verse 11. You, you, um, you follow my persecutions and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Then watch this. 
here's what I want you to know. Indeed, verse 12, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Great leaders prepare their people with truth. They don't seduce them with lies. Let me show you the greatest leader that ever lived. This is Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 through 22. And, and Jesus says this, behold, I send you as sheep out in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake and as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when, you hand, when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it's not you who speak, but it's the spirit of your father who speaks in you. How can you know the words of the father to speak? By knowing the word of God and hiding in your heart, sharing the gospel story. That's all you got to do is testify that you know this Jesus by whom you've been saved. Jesus says this, brother will betray brother to death. Father is child. Children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You'll be hated by all because of my name. But the one that endures to the end, not the one who has a comfortable faith and wears, if you will, the gospel while it makes them a little more comfortable in their flight. But the one who really knows me. Now look, great leaders prepare their people with truth. Let me just give you some more truth. All right, real quickly, um, Jesus continued. This is so important. Verse 23 and following in Matthew 10. But listen, if they persecute you in one city, go to the next. For truly I say to you, you're not gonna finish going through the cities of Israel until the son of man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. It's enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house, Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed but that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Watch, I love this verse. What I'm telling you in the darkness, speak in the light. What you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Don't fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather... You fear the one who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Church, let me encourage you with this. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And not yet one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Therefore, do not fear. For you are more valuable than the sparrows. I love what um, one pastor a long time ago, John Calvin, said, he said, what else can we wish for ourselves if not even one hair can fall from our heads without his notice? God knows all about the coronavirus, all about cancer, and all about you. So the great leaders prepare their people with truth so they don't, um, so they don't seduce them with lives. I got so many other places I could go. Paul, again and again throughout Scripture, keeps talking about his love for the church, and I'll have lots of other uh, Scripture that you can look at that'll be there for you uh, on the sermon discussion guide as we always do, all the points we're putting down there. Um, I, I, I do want to point out in the midst of this that, that one of the primary ways, there's just another leader, an, another observation I would make as we, we teach us. One of the primary ways the enemy attacks God's people is by convincing them that God doesn't care for them. It's one of the, one of the primary ways he comes after you. He wants you to believe that if God was good, he wouldn't leave you in the wilderness hungry what he did to Jesus. Really? This is a good deal? The Father sent you to earth to be his Messiah and you're in the wilderness? The, the Spirit of the Lord 
led you to the wilderness and you've been here for 40 days and 40 nights without food or water? Abandon him. Don't trust him. Trust me, the enemy said. And Jesus responds with Deuteronomy 8.3 and he says this, hey, it's written, man doesn't live by bread alone. As much as my body in the middle of this fast would love to be comforted by food, you know what really comforts me? What I know to be true about God. Just remember this. One of the primary ways the enemy is gonna try and take you out is to convince you that God has forgotten you, that he doesn't care for you, he doesn't love you. If he did, this wouldn't be your story. Now listen, sometimes our story is what it is because we haven't listened to God. But even then, God says, let that pain, that burden, that heavy ladenness bring you back to me. But don't ever think that in the midst of difficult circumstances that God has forgotten you. His understanding, the scripture says, is inscrutable. Um, his compassions never fail. He doesn't promise us that he will keep us from storms. He tells us he will take us through storms. Even sometimes, not just the valley of the shadow of death, but through death itself. Ours is just to be faithful. And the enemy's gonna lie to you um, again and again. Um, let me turn this. Just like one of the primary ways the enemy is gonna um, attack you is by convincing you that God doesn't care for you, here's another principle. One of the primary ways we show our faith, and, faith in and love for God is to trust him in the face of the enemy's attacks. When he says stuff to like, hey, God doesn't care about you. God's forgotten you. Don't ever believe it. Go back to Matthew 10 and be reminded, God, God knows all about it. He knows the number of hairs in my head. Those ones you just pulled out? You want to cut my head off? He knows what you're doing all the time. Every time a bird falls, God notices it. You don't think he knows me made in his image? It's taken care of? There, there's so many Psalms that I spent some time in um, this week. I mean, Psalm 42, Psalm 46. Psalm 138 is... Um, is a great little psalm that David wrote. And in verse eight, there's this phrase that, that came up that I saw that so encouraged me. And, and this is just David in the midst of all the temptation he was facing and the pressure of his enemies to not believe in the goodness of God. David says in Psalm 138, verse eight, this, the Lord will accomplish what concerns me. He's got this. Your loving, O oh kindness, O oh Lord, is everlasting. And so remember me. Don't forsake me, the work of your hands. You don't forsake the work of your hands. And so if it's mine in this moment to suffer, Lord, I know you will accomplish what concerns me. Let me just be concerned with trusting you. You say this, this attitude again and again through scripture. And I, I just want to tell you, woe to the person, woe to the man or woman that um, waits till there is trouble to trouble themselves with the idea of God. Let me just give that to you again. Woe to the man who waits till there is trouble to trouble themselves with God. You want to figure out who God is right now. Our friend um, and leader here in the Dallas campus, Blake Holmes, you know, who uh, his son Gage went through the, uh, the trouble of childhood um, cancer and leukemia. You know, Blake used to always say, hey man, you don't want to wait until you're the eighth floor of children's to start to work out your theology. And you don't want to wait um, until trouble has hit 
determine, to determine if God is good because the enemy will wear you out. You want to fill your mind and your heart with truth. So in those moments of testing, you can be careful to live in a way that is uh, faithful and ready. All right? You want to know him before you need him or you will struggle with what you don't know. All right? Or you'll struggle with what you do know. All right? And if you don't know God, what you do know isn't going to be enough to get you through that. Uh, Proverbs 24.10, a proverb I've quoted a ton. He who, is strack, he who is slack in the day of distress, his strength is limited. We don't want to be individuals who go, ah, I don't think this is working out well for me. And so God must not be there. No, we should have enduring strength because we know the goodness and the power of God. Um, go and read Daniel, chapter three of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Where they say to Nebuchadnezzar, hey, our king, in verse 16, uh, you just need to know, O king, that our God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, I think that's in verse 17 where he says that, but um, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us, the scripture says, from the furnace of blazing fire, but even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we're not going to serve your gods or worship the graven images that you've set up. You want to have an even if faith, not an if then faith. All right. Uh, so much great truth here in this little text that we can continue to go in. But let me just um, wrap up with a, um, a, a quick couple of little points here. We'll go for about another, I don't know, five or six minutes or so. Um, Paul writes down here a little bit later um, in verse nine, he says, well, in verse eight, he says, we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. You wanna know what is life to me is to hearing that you're doing well. Uh, I, this is just a truth. I, I wrote this down, that nothing encourages a distant friend as much as hearing of your nearness to God and his way. And that is certainly true of what has happened this week with me and you. Nothing encourages a distant godly friend as much as hearing of your nearness to God when you're not together. Uh, Paul in verse nine goes on to say, for what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? Paul said, man, Timothy came back. He said, you were killing it. I've got here, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, I've got right here uh, pages of uh, just single spaced uh, notes from members of the uh, staff as they talk to you, talking about the things that you were doing in the midst of our being able to gather in this way. I mean, story after story of hearing of your testimony, of knowing who God is in the midst of this trial. Um, I, I love, um, I'll just share a couple of them with you. You know, one of them, uh, of you, our members, friends that were out there that's in Regen was just talking about how this particular trial has been so different. And how because she knows Christ now, she says, hey, listen, ever since I've come to know Jesus, I've quit surviving and I've started living. And this week, my regen group, which couldn't meet together on Monday, we got together virtually and I was refreshed and reset in my thinking because others of you strengthened and encouraged her when we were together. The church was at work. We're not making this up. We are set up. And so well done, church. I mean, story after story, um, I, I loved, especially when we would call our members who were students in, in high school and like sweet little Ani, um, who was um, a little bit 
discouraged because of, um, I, I, no, Ani was actually, said, I'm actually searching, you know, for opportunities to further gospel and the peace of the Lord and when, uh, with my, my friends. And when our staff team said, hey, how can we pray for you, Ani? Listen to how she said, just pray that I would use this time to increase um, my dependence and continuing faith in Jesus during this time, that I wouldn't succumb to fear and worry, that I'd be an example to those around me in the house and help them love the Lord more. I'd be an encouragement to others. I'd be an example of peace. I would trust the Lord more through this circumstance so I can see he's sufficient for all circumstance. My goodness. I, I, I think about you know another high school friend who was a little discouraged because um, it was her 16th birthday this last week. And lo and behold, you know, a bunch of her friends planned something that all throughout the day, they kept popping in in creative ways virtually to celebrate her. I think about how um, I've heard numerous stories of those of you who have taken people in, I mean, literally into your home. One of our members knows of um, um, a young man who both of his parents tragically took their life. And that as they head into the season of needing shelter and family, they brought this individual in and just said, be a part of our family. Let us be God's family for you. I think about one of you that was at a car dealership and as you were waiting for your car to be serviced um, a while ago, you, you bumped into a person who worked there and um, that person who was coming out of real hardship in their life and they were trying to change their playgrounds and their playmates. Um, and so they moved out from where they were. They were actually living in the car. You went home. You talked to your community group about how you might care for this individual. And the solution you came up with is that you invite that person who's recovering from brokenness into a house that had been healed. And now for two and a half weeks, they've been a part of your family. There's story after story about how you all are caring for another and provisions, how some of you have left businesses and uh, seamstresses that make clothes that have stopped doing that to, to make medical masks. I mean, there is nothing here but an account of the faithfulness of God's church at work. All right. Nothing encourages a distant friend as much as hearing of your nearness to God in his way. So um, two things just to wrap it up now. Number one, um, you see how Paul says um, right down here in the very end of verse 10, he says, we keep night and day praying for you most earnestly that we may see your face and we might complete what is lacking in your faith. Listen, um, just a point of application. Um, there is never a time when any of us doesn't need to grow and excel still more. We're actually next week gonna get into a passage where for the first time he starts to provide a little instruction, not just encouragement for the Thessalonian church. But all of us still need to be admonished and encouraged and strengthened and equipped. And it's why we're gonna encourage you to keep being in touch with one another, all right? It's why Paul gave us pastors and teachers and one another. Because no matter how much we walk with him, there's still a little lacking in the faith. But God will complete what he's begun in you, especially as you stay with his word, stay in fellowship with him and his spirit, and stay with his people. We love the way you've stayed with one another. In verses 11 and 12 and 13, Paul ends with a prayer, and this is how we end. Look at Paul's prayer. In the sermon discussion guide, 
what I've done for you is I have put down uh, an outline for this prayer, and I've also put down these verses. They'll be there. You can't write them down right now. You can maybe take a picture with your phone, uh, but that's not even all of them. We'll scroll to the next screen, all right? And don't be concerned you just missed them. It'll be on the website today, uh, the Sermon Discussion Guide, all those verses. What were those verses? It was every single prayer of Paul for the church. So as you pray for one another, work your way through all of those prayers, okay? Here was Paul's prayer to the Thessalonians. Here's the outline for the prayer we're about to read. May we be together soon. May you increase in your love and your care for one another and for those who are not yet in the faith. May you continually to follow the example, Paul said, of himself and Silvanus and Timothy. May you continue to follow the example of your leaders in Christ ultimately, but also we pray the leaders here that you look to. And then fourthly, may you increase in your holiness and Christ-likeness before God and a watching world. And as a result of that, may your eternity be full of joy as a result. Let me pray first, that's three, 11 through 13 for you. Father, we thank you that even as Paul prayed for that church, we can pray the exact same way. May you, our God and Father, and Jesus, our Lord, direct their way to us. Would you take care of this coronavirus and the things which separate us so that we can be together? May you, Lord, direct our path together until we're physically together. May we use every means of communication that you provided for us so that we can um, be faithful and strengthening and encourage one another. And may the Lord Father cause this body to increase and abound in love for one another. And not just in their love for one another, but for all people. Lord, help this church be what you intend your church to be. May we care for one another and may others around us who don't yet know the love of God see the love of God in us. And Lord, help us, all of us that are leaders of community groups, of families, of this church, be worthy of saying to others, imitate me as we imitate Jesus Christ. So that, Father, as we are conformed in your image, that you would establish the hearts of this church without blame in holiness before God. So that, Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints, my friends here would be eternally full of joy, clothed in your righteousness alone, but arms filled with gifts of service to you so that we would not shrink back at your coming. Thank you for your word, for how relevant this text is and for the chance we have now to love one another. Help us, Father, to build our life on Jesus and his word. We worship together now in his name. Amen.